Hey, good morning. It's time for us to, to begin our, our Bible class hour at this time. Again, we are studying uh, the subject, the topic of Christian apologetics. And so uh, I know we have some visitors with us this morning, so um, we're, we're glad that you're able to stick around and uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to meet some more uh, this morning. Uh, but we, are, we have been studying the topic of Christian apologetics for the past uh, few weeks. And if you're not familiar what apologetics is, it's basically you know, defending the faith. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 tells us that you know, we need to be able to give a hope for, or give an answer, a reason, defense, the logical answer for the hope that is in us. Uh, but also to be able to do that with gentleness and reverence. You know, again, we're not looking to start arguments uh, based on that verse, uh, as in getting to, into other people's faces and saying, I'm right, you're wrong, that type of thing. But apologetics is, you know, again, logically explaining what the scriptures say to give others, again, that hope that is with, with, excuse me, within us. And so uh, we're looking at these three different pillars. Uh, we, we spent the first couple of weeks talking about the existence of God. Uh, we talked the past couple of weeks talking about the inspiration of the scriptures. And I believe today will, will be our last uh, section on that. And then finally, we'll get into the deity of Christ starting next week, Lord willing. And so if you remember last week, we, we talked about you know, predictive prophecy, who's a prophet, what makes a prophet. Um, and we said that, uh, and of course, we said that, you know, prophecy within Scripture, uh, you know, there's over, uh, you know, scholars say that there's over, you know, 800 times within Scripture, in the Old Testament specifically, that prophecy is given, uh, that uh, things that are going to take place, you know, in the New Testament. Uh, come to fruition, and uh, this is one of the greatest evidences the Christian has uh, when talking to others about the inspiration of the Bible. Again, is the Bible from God? Well, how did uh, individuals write, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred years prior to these things coming uh, to uh, Existence. How did they know that these things were going to happen? Right? This is, again, one of the greatest uh, tools the Christian has to help teach others about the inspiration of the Bible. And so we talked about a little bit about predictive prophecy, how you know, it's got to include proper timing. It must be specific in detail, and it, there must be an exact fulfillment of that, uh, of that uh, prophecy. You know, not that a couple of things came true, but that everything came true. And we started to talk about Ezekiel chapter 26. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 26 is one of the more commonly um, studied chapters on uh, biblical prophecy. Uh, let, let's look at this. Uh, I know we, we did spend a little bit of time on this last week, but uh, Ezekiel is prophesying the fall of this city known as Tyre, T-Y-R-E, Tyre. And uh, he is uh, giving this prophecy to them because notice up in verse uh, 1, again, Ezekiel chapter 26, it says, Now in the eleventh year, on the first of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gateway of the peoples is broken. It has opened to me. I shall be filled now, what, now that she 
is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and I will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. And so throughout the next you know, few verses, you know, all the way up into verse 14, uh, to be in fact, to be uh, specific, um, Ezekiel is delivering this prophecy from God uh, that, you know, you have, you know, you've spoken bad about my people, about my uh, children. So now I am going to lay you waste. And so he gives uh, different aspects of this prophecy uh, throughout it. Uh, we're not going to take the time to read all of it this, this morning because our time is a little bit limited today. And I want to get into some of the more um, more uh, other aspects of, of these prophecies we th- see in Scripture. But just to summarize, uh, as Ezekiel gives this prophecy, he tells Ezekiel that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is going to destroy the city. You know, he spe- specifically mentions who is uh, this nation that's going to come against them, who's the king. He's going to say in verse 3 that many nations are going to rise up against Tyre over the years. In verse 4, uh, look, at, he gets extremely specific. In verse 4, he says the city will be leveled and scraped clean like a bare rock. You know, that's a pretty specific uh, prophecy that he gives. He, he says in verse 12 that the stones and the timbers and the soil will be cast into the sea. Again, uh, that might not mean anything to those who are hearing that at the time, but we'll notice here later uh, that uh, or we'll make that connection. He says in verse 5 of this prophecy that, that Tyre is going to become this this bald spot, this spot for the spreading of fishermen's nets. You know, basically the only thing it's going to be good for is for fishermen to gather and fish here. And he says also that the city uh, will never be rebuilt to its former glory. Now, you know, you can take my word for it. You can go to the library and look up secular history on these things. But we're, we'll notice, you know, that uh, these things came true. Uh, what, what's uh, interesting about Tyre is that it's a, a coastal city, but it also three-fourths of a mile out into the ocean has a, its own island. So that's considered Tyre as well. And uh, when Nebuchadnezzar besieged the city, you know, and we've talked about, you know, how in a past sermon about how, you know, armies went about besieging cities. It wasn't just something where you went into the city and took it over right away, but, you know, you, you built up a, a you know, a wall around that city. You didn't let anything come in and out. You cut off food supply or water supply. And so it could last a pretty long time. And so scholars say from 586 BC until 573 BC, you know, Nebuchadnezzar finally conquered this city through, through besieging it. But his, his uh, victory was kind of shallow because he found out that most of the inhabitants left the mainland and they went and lived on the island of, of Tyre. Okay, so they're now all out on that island uh, living there. And it's, of course, it's pretty fortified because it's got, you know, a a great big moat. Uh, You know, uh, it's encircled by water. It's hard to get to. And so throughout history, you know, pretty much everything stayed the same. You know, Tyre was wiped out on the mainland. They're all living on the island. And it's not until the time of Alexander the Great. Do you remember in the book of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar has that dream, you know, in chapter two, and, you know, he wants to know what that, what that um, great statue represented, you know, it had the head of gold, and Daniel told him that represented Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar, and then it had the, uh, the chest uh, of silver that represented the, the, the Medes and the Persians, 
And then the legs were of, of uh, bronze, and that was going to be the Grecian Empire, the Greeks. And that's the time here uh, of Alexander the Great. And so this is taking place uh, between Malachi and Matthew in our Bibles. It's what we call the intertestamental period. Uh, you know, the, the prophets aren't speaking during this 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Uh, no uh, books are being, no inspired books are being written. And this is the time where Alexander the Great is conquering the world at an extremely rapid pace. And so what he does is he instructs his people to, and we're talking, um, you know, some 250 years uh, prior to, uh, you know, this, this prophecy being spoken. Uh, he instructs his people to take all of the stone, take all of the timber, take all of the dirt of the land of, of Tyre that's in the mainland and dump it into the ocean and build a bridge, a land bridge out to that island. Well, wait a second. Didn't we just read that in Ezekiel chapter 26 that they were going to be that Tyre was going to be laid waste uh, bare waste that, that its timber and its stones and um, its debris was going to be cast into the water. Well, that came to fruition through Alexander the Great. And they built this great land bridge out into Tyre and, uh, and battled them as well there. You know, it's, uh, uh, even scholars say that even today, you know, modern day Tyre really has never uh, come back. Uh, it's still considered, you know, that bald spot that, that Ezekiel prophesied uh, of just, you know, it's where fishermen come and fish and lay down their nets. Again, uh, you know, that, a great prophecy uh, being fulfilled. King Josiah, and a couple of these are, are a little bit shorter, but I just want you to notice these because these are, these just, every time I, I read these, it's just, it's amazing to me um, that with such precision, you know, that the, the writers um, could, you know, prophesy these things through the inspiration of God. But in 1 Kings chapter 13, we want to notice, we, we remember the, the King Josiah. He was one of the good kings. He was the king of Judah. Uh, we're going to see, or he's often remembered because he was a youth when he became a king. But in 1 Kings chapter 13, uh, verse 2 in particular, you know, we're at the beginning of the divided kingdoms. Remember, Solomon has a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam has 10 of the 12 tribes ripped away from him, and they go to Jeroboam. And at that point, you know, the kingdom is splitting, and there's going to be a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And notice in 1 Kings chapter 13... Starting verse 1, it says, Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the altar to burn incense. He cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. This, this man of God, the, this prophet, comes to Jeroboam and says, at some point, there's going to be a son born to the, the lineage of David. And he says, by Josiah, by name. Well, we have to go all the way 
to 2 Kings chapter 22 to see this happen. And what happens in between, you know, Jeroboam and um, Josiah is 15 years of of family heritage, family lineage. Almost, uh, we're talking uh, close to 300 years of time has passed. And we come to 2 Kings 22, verse 1, and we notice it reads, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bothkath. There was a king born of the lineage of David named Josiah that was prophesied by this man of God some 300 years prior to that. And even if we continue to read throughout the life of Josiah, uh, chapter 23 and verse 14 in particular talks about how he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with human bones. You know, that's what uh, the man of God just prophesied that we read about in 1 Kings uh, 13. That, that was one of the great things about Josiah was that he uh, rest- attempted to restore uh, the Jewish uh, religion and got rid of all of the idols and uh, false gods that were within that land. And some of those things you know, that, that was spoken of back in 1 Kings 13 came through. Uh, that he filled their places with those human blown, bones. Excuse me. So Josiah is someone who's named, you know, 300 years in advance. Uh, even King Cyrus, you know, King Cyrus was not uh, a Jew, but he also was prophesied uh, by name prior to uh, his uh, coming on the scene. Now his isn't as as great as 300 years. It's more like 150 years. But Isaiah prophesies of a king, a, a king Cyrus of Persia, uh, who is going to come and help overthrow uh, Babylon. As you know, as again, as the Babylonian kingdom is done away with and the Medes and Persians come on the scene. And again, secular history verifies that these things uh, came true. But again, um, you know, we can talk uh, prophecies all day long uh, in, you know, the Old Testament. But one of the more fascinating, at least for me, the, one of the more fascinating prophecies are known as uh, messianic prophecies. W- what do you think that term means? Okay, the Messiah. Yeah, so these are prophecies that are directly relating to the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. You know, again, I mentioned, you know, there's some 800 prophecies in the Old Testament. Well, uh, scholars say that there's no less of them. Uh, 333 of these relate to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ, the Savior. Uh, And these were written to tell the world, right, about the one who had come to save uh, humankind from sin. Uh, remember in the book of Acts, you remember in Acts chapter 8 when uh, Philip is told to go and chase down the chariot that, that's um, leaving Jerusalem. And he goes up into the chariot and he talks to this Ethiopian eunuch. You remember, what is the Ethiopian eunuch reading? Right, he's reading Isaiah. He's reading the Old Testament in particular, uh, he's reading, um, well, in Acts chapter 8, verse 32, it says, you know, he was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. 
As so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. And, I, and the Ethiopian eunuch, when he got talked, was talking to Philip, he was asking him, you know, who is Isaiah talking about? You know, is he talking about himself or, or someone else? And so, the, uh, so Philip then preaches Jesus to him and tells him that he is a fulfillment of these prophecies that Isaiah is speaking of. You know, this is kind of a side point, but it's always amazing when I think about this is, you know, of course, back then, you know, of course, they did not have uh, Bible chapters and Bible verses, right? They would have just had a scroll of Isaiah that would have had all the text on it. And this man was reading from Isaiah uh, chapter uh, 53. And so obviously he was well uh, within uh, that scroll, right? Uh, and so that's always impressed me that, you know, he was all the way into what we would refer to as Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, but he was reading that and he wanted to know who uh, this was. And of course, uh, within Scripture, again, we, we see a lot of different uh, prophecies, uh, messianic prophecies. You know, we could talk about the, the, the lineage of Jesus, that he was to come from the, the seed of Abraham that he was to be born of woman. You know, the very first Messianic prophecy is all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, it's debated whether this is, but I believe it is. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where, uh, where, where it reads, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Uh, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel, All right? And so in this, uh, this messianic prophecy, uh, we're told that you know, Jesus is going to be born of a woman. Again, we're told that he's going to be from the seed of Abraham, that, that Abraham's line, his heritage is going to be blessed or is going to bless the, uh, the world. We're told in Genesis chapter 49, you know, this is a, I know we're going to be skipping through a lot of different scriptures, so uh, hopefully you can keep up with me. Uh, again, because I know our time is short, and, but in Genesis chapter 49, uh, verse 10, you know, Jacob is, is prophesying about all of his sons and the different tribes that they represent. And he says about Judah in, in, in excuse me, Genesis 49, verse 10, he said, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Right? He, he's speaking of this messianic prophecy that the, the scepter, uh, this imagery of rule, ruling and authority shall never uh, leave or depart from Judah. That, that you know, the, the, again, the Messiah is going to come from the, the tribe of Judah, from the seed of Abraham, the tribe of Judah. You know, we also see that it's going to be uh, through the line of David. And that is first established for us in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, in verse 12. Uh, notice here, it says, when, the days, um, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You know, we've got, we got in this verse um, sort of a dual prophecy going on. He's talking about Solomon uh, becoming a king after him, but he's also talking about uh, the messianic 
aspect of it too as well, that there is going to be a ruler, uh, he says, that will be established. This kingdom will be established forever. And that, of course, again, is the Christ. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, we read in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that this, uh, this Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. And again, we see those things take place in the gospel accounts. And so uh, these messianic prophecies, they deal with his lineage. They, they deal with his timing. Um, again, Daniel chapter 2, which I just referenced here a little while ago. But in Daniel chapter 2, uh, verse 44, you know, when, when he is, again, describing that great statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's describing these different aspects of it. You know, Babylon is going to be the head of gold and then uh, the Medo-Persians are going to be the, the chest plate of silver and then the, the, the Grecian kingdom is going to be uh, the, the bronze legs and then you get all the way to the bottom, uh, the feet that's going to be made a mix of clay and iron, uh, this is going to be the Roman Empire. And he says, specifically in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, he says, in the days of those kings... Okay, he's talking about the, the Roman Empire. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all of these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. And we, of course, understand when we read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus is living during the Roman Empire. Right? He didn't come during uh, the Babylonian kingdom or, or the Medo-Persian or the Grecian kingdom, but he is alive during the Roman uh, Empire. Uh, we can read about uh, his nature, that Jesus was both human and divine uh, and uh, eternal. I, I want to look at one verse on this. If we look at the, the, the minor prophet Micah. Uh, the, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This is a, a pretty important verse for a couple of reasons. But here, again in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it reads this. But as for you, Bethlehem, Eparathath, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of of eternity. You know, again, uh, the, this prophet of God, Micah, says that uh, this, the Messiah, is his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Again, uh, showing us the, the eternal nature of Jesus. Um, his betrayal, death, and resurrection. You know, again, the, the, these are amazing, uh, these things that we find in the Old Testament that come to fruition uh, in the New Testament. Uh, we can read about, and it probably would have been best if I would have put these verses up on the board for us to, to look at since we're looking at so many. Uh, but uh, Psalm chapter 41, for instance, verse 9 of the psalmist here is David. You know, he's writing and he says, uh, even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. You know, David's, uh, you know, writing this so long ago. And uh, we see that in, um, in John chapter 13, verse 18, for instance, that John attributes that passage of scripture to Jesus and who else? 
Who ate bread with Jesus and lifted up his heel against him? Judas, right. Uh, He's speaking, uh, he's prophesying of Judas, that someone is going to betray him. um, And also, uh, it gets gets even more specific. I'm having a hard time saying that word today. Specific. Uh, Because in the book, in the minor prophet Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 Uh, is talking about these 30 pieces of silver. Well, how much was Judas paid for uh, betraying Jesus? 30 pieces of silver. silver. Again, uh, it's amazing that these things, again, being prophesied by these these prophets, uh, we refer to them as minor prophets, not because they don't, uh, they're not important, but because their books are a lot shorter than the, the, the major prophets. But they're prophesying about these things that are going to happen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. And again, they come to fruition each and every time. And exactly, uh, it's exactly right that, uh, that Jesus was betrayed for those 30 pieces of silver. Uh, he would be, um, Jesus, of course, he would be spit upon and beaten. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6 talks about that. And in his death, his hand and feet, uh, of course, would be pierced. Uh, Notice something in Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22 is uh, uh, one of these psalms that we refer to as a messianic psalm because a lot of it is speaking about, you know, the coming of the Messiah. And Psalm chapter 22, uh, verse 16. Again, this is a psalm of David. Uh, He says here, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Well, of course, we know uh, from the, the New Testament uh, that you know, this was talking about the, the, the mode of the death of Jesus. Right? He's talking about crucifixion. But the amazing thing uh, that sometimes we don't get was that when David was writing these things, nobody was practicing Crucifixion. That wasn't even a thing when, when David was writing this. He had no idea what uh, necessarily what he was uh, that or excuse me that what he was writing was going to be ascribed to uh, Jesus. Matthew chapter twenty-seven, verse uh, thirty. Uh, that's when they they spat on him and took the reed and, and began to beat him on his head. Um, excuse me. I wanted to get John chapter nineteen, verse. 18, John 19, verse 18 says, uh, There they crucified him, and with him two other men, one on either side, and Jesus is between. So again, the mode, the way Jesus uh, died, his death on the cross, that was foretold in Psalm 22. Again, when, when crucifixion was not even known, uh, was not even practiced, but yet... Um, we see here that, again, the Old Testament is providing us details of the Messiah, these messianic prophecies that they could only, uh, the, it could only be written because there is a higher power, right? There, 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 God is behind this. He, he is, uh, he is um, breathing out, as we've talked about. He is inspiring uh, his words uh, to be written down. That was the, the bell, and I know I had a lot more to uh, get to, but uh, we have about five minutes. But I want to talk about uh, this, these, 
eight prophecies um, in particular. Uh, again, we talked about Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that Jesus would come from uh, the seed of woman, right? So obviously that narrows down who the Messiah would be. Uh, Genesis chapter 12 talks about, again, that he would be a descendant from Abraham. Again, it, narrowing it down. Uh, Genesis 49, verse 10, which we talked about already, uh, talking about how the, the scepter would not leave you know, Judah, or that the Messiah would come from Judah. Again, it, it narrows it down even further uh, of who this, or who this is going to be. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, uh, talks about how the Messiah is going to be a descendant of Jesse. Okay, so it's narrowing down all of the families of the tribe of Judah down to Jesse. Second uh, Samuel 7, which we read, he's going to be the seed of David. So again, narrowing it down. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7, 14, we talked about he was going to be born of a virgin. Uh, Micah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we already read these ones again. But, uh, you know, I just wanted to note that, again, one of these things that just, it just absolutely shocks me when I read about this is if we go back to Micah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, uh, you know, it said that he would come from Bethlehem, Epaphratha. Now, what is the significance of uh, him not just simply saying Bethlehem, but he said Bethlehem, Epaphratha? And that was because there was more than one Bethlehem at that time. You know, if I were to say uh, to somebody here, you know, that, that I grew up in Columbia, you know, our minds would go to Columbia, Kentucky, right? Uh, that's because that's what we're familiar with. But if I were to say to somebody living in Florida that I grew up in Columbia, they might think of South Carolina or Tennessee or maybe even the country, Columbia. But the, the Holy Spirit, through Micah, said that Jesus would be born of Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, specifically noting which Bethlehem, right? Because there was more than one Bethlehem at that time. And so again... Uh, you know, skeptics uh, cannot, you know, say, well, he could have been talking about another one. You know, he precisely pinpointed which uh, Bethlehem he was talking about. Okay, so that, that was the seventh, um, the seventh messianic prophecy. Uh, the eighth one, again, Psalm 22, verse 16, which talks about the crucifixion. And the point I want to make is, is there was a mathematician one time who took these eight prophecies. Okay, and he said that uh, in order for one man to fulfill all eight of these prophecies, it would have to, um, it would come out to one chance in 10 to the 17th power. So I think that's one with 17 zeros behind it. You know, that, that's a huge, huge, huge number. And so the way he illustrated it was he said, you know, take a silver dollar and go and put them, put one to the, or excuse me, yeah, one to the, or 10 to the 17th power of silver dollars Put them on the face of Texas from the east to west and north to south, and you're going to have up to two feet high of silver dollars all over the state of Texas. And then just choose one of those silver dollars and mark an X on it, and again, throw it into that pile, mix it up into the whole state of Texas, ask a man who is blindfolded to walk into the state of Texas wherever he wants to go and pick one silver dollar. For him to pick that one silver dollar that I marked the X on would be one chance in 10 to the 17th power. And that's how, and that probably blows our minds a little bit, right? Uh, but that is exactly, uh, he says, would it be for one man to accomplish just eight, eight of these prophecies to come true in one individual. And so, again, we, um, 
we understand, you know, how remarkable it is. I wanted to go through Isaiah chapter 53 with you because it's 12 short verses and each verse contains a prophecy, a messianic prophecy of Jesus. And, but we, again, we're out of time, so maybe we'll finish this up next week or move on to uh, the next section of our study. But again, I appreciate um, your attendance this morning. You know, again, it, it's amazing when we read uh, of these prophecies within Scripture. Again, that over and over uh, see their fulfillment. Uh, again, a lot of people, and I'd have to agree that you know that that, that prophecy is uh, probably our greatest advantage in trying to uh, show people, you know, that the Bible is inspired, that it's truly one hundred percent. Uh, from God. So again, thank you for uh, your attendance this morning. And then Danny's going to have our closing prayer for us.